kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with hijinks captain Jen Herkenroder. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player, FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, this weekend we have two events to look forward to. In Norman, Oklahoma, Crimson Carnage 2023 at University of Oklahoma. They will be fighting ant weights, plastic ants, and beetles. And in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we have Motorama Robot Conflict running all weekend long. Friday, we have fairies and ants. Saturday and Sunday, we have 3-pound, 12-pound, and 30-pound action all day long. Uh, We all have very fond memories of attending Motorama, and I may be going on this Sunday with my kids. We'll play it by ear and see how they're feeling that day, but uh, we might make the drive out there. Um, Can you guys tell me some of your favorite memories from Motorama? That are uh, not cheesesteak related? Or pretzel related? Or cheesesteak inside of pretzels? I think that the food culture at Motorama is a pivotal part of the experience. And we can talk about that too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me as a spectator, I feel like the spectator experience at Motorama isn't super great. Maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> it's kind of not ideal. However... It is so much more worth it because of the Amish pretzels that are right down the hall um, (laughs) that are so good and literally maybe the only reason why I would consider going back. Um, But I mean, Motorama is cool. Um, I don't know. As As a spectator, you don't really have a great viewpoint of anything. So I'm trying to, you know, kind of recall some of the highlights as a you know what audience my, member. You know what my favorite parts is? So you're you're at Motorama, which is not a combat robotics event. It is a an event where there are um uh there are dirt bikes and quads and there's a I don't know if it's a, it's a, a beauty contest with women or they is it the cars that are in the beauty contest and the women the the women are in the beauty contest but the women have to be associated with some event right so they have to be on a team or a part of a team for some event so they could be part of like the classic car show or the remote control racers or the um, remote control like uh, jeep terrain vehicle things where they kind of go over all those things or they could be part of combat robotics we've even had some members of uh, some combat robotics team go out for the the Miss Motorama competition. Well, e- either way, so it's like um, no no matter what, no matter how popular combat robotics gets at Motorama, you're still just kind of a stranger in a strange land where yeah, you know you're you're there and perhaps you're working on your bot and you're frantically trying to get something back together and 15 people in helmets walk by uh, and they are covered in mud or maybe cow poop i don't know uh maybe both but you know that's that's the really interesting thing about just so many different 
cultures kind of coming together in one huge mishmash, like literally a, a demolition derby of people. And it's like, I'll, I'll watch someone who just got on, he, you know, this person just got on a dirt bike and went like 25 feet into the air and landed. I would shatter every single bone in my entire body. But you know, that same person will walk by the box and see two 30 pounders just like duking it out and will be like, wow, that's really crazy. And it's just like, you think that's crazy? Like <laughs> you're, you're, you're like Superman flying through the air, but that's, that's cool. And that's what um, I think is kind of interesting about Motorama is that it is not specifically a combat robotics event, but there is a place there for combat robotics to shine. And uh, that is my rant. Yeah, I think that that's very true. I also think it's neat because that we talked to so many people at the last Motorama we went to that didn't know BattleBots was a TV show, but they yeah. watched the fights at Motorama every year, and it's one of their favorite parts of the Motorama experience is the combat robotics there, um, which I think is a really cool part about that, like kind of exposing combat robotics to a whole different kind of audience. Um, and I, you know, I also really liked it. While you're right, the viewing of the combat robotics, like it's not set up to be an audience experience as much as some other events. It's more like um, a builder first experience. The builders are there to watch it. They're, they're there to run their competition to see who wins. And if you get a, to catch a view of it on the side, that's great for them. They're cool with it. Uh, but that's not the whole point. Um, the like the what I like about it is the fact that you can, you know, especially if you go with kids. Uh, take them away to go look at classic cars or check out like the 15 DeLoreans that are in the other warehouse or um, take them to the bouncy house or take them to watch motocross for a while. Like it's a really cool experience overall to go there. And the combat robotics is definitely a neat part about it. Yeah, I agree with all that. It's definitely, there's a, a larger experience to be had and you're missing out if you're only, you know, going to look at the, the combat robot stuff. Cause there are some activities that I had no idea existed and people dedicate their whole lives to them. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So next up, NHRL's very own Ashley and Tamara from Milk Tank were featured in a story on News 12, The Bronx. The report discussed their beloved position in the league, their diminishing reputation as an underdog, and a really inspiring voiceover by our very own Luke Stangle. It was a cute report. Did you guys happen to catch this? I feel really bad. I have not yet seen it. I was so surprised. Sorry, I love you, Ashley and Tamara. I love Milk Tank so much. It was really cool. It was talking about them as kind of like hometown heroes and how they kind of started out as the underdogs, but now they're starting to win judges' decisions and build bots that actually work really well. Um, it was a really cool report. I had a lot of time of fun like watching it. It was a little like four and a half minute segment, and Luke's voiceover was like all over that thing. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. I know that guy. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was weird to hear Luke's voice pop up. I was like, oh yeah, very cool. Um, and of course, you know, Ashley and Tamara were uh, charming and awesome as always. You got to love those ladies. They're just so dedicated to the sport and so cool. You can't find two better people. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, and finally, in recent AMA news, Banshee Captain David Small gave us some insight into the operation of its flipper. When asked about the design capacity versus the used capacity in his heavyweight flipper, he said the following. 
We were designed to run at 1500 PSI, but we were only allowed to run it at 1000 PSI. The rules require custom parts to be hydrostatic tested, but doesn't specify what safety factors they want. I've always tested my parts at 150% of operating pressure in smaller robots, so that's what I did with Banshee. I was also sure to provide our pressures and what we plan to test in, at, in the application. So there seems to be a disconnect between who reads the applications and who does safety at BattleBots, which I thought this was really interesting. That's been a big question this year is like, why is Banshee's flipper somewhat underpowered or, or like not giving the big throws that we expect from a flipper bot at BattleBots? And this seems to be an explanation for that. They had a little bit of a disconnect between what safety wanted versus what they submitted in their application. That's a that's kind of a bummer for him because, you know, probably the percentage of fans who know, you know, this fact now is probably 1%. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, 99% of everyone else is just watching the show. They're not kind of diving mm -hmm. deep like, you know, probably the people who listen to this are. And they probably just see that bot and think like, oh, it's not flipping so high. I dumb. Like, I don't know. I'm <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, no, I, I get where Lindsay's coming from. I mean, especially if you read like the the kind of like Facebook or Reddit specific commentary, you know, the, the operation of the bot seems to be people think it's like a direct um, like mirror of the person who built the bot's soul and character. Right. right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a good way to put it, Kyle. Uh, which is not the case at all. Um, but yeah, especially in this, I feel bad for David. I mean, he's been doing pneumatic flippers for a long time. I know that the expectations were really high on this. Don't get me wrong. He adjusted his strategy. He's able to use Banshee effectively, obviously, and those those little pops that he's able to do are, are doing their work. They're doing what they're supposed to do. He's showing, you know, active weapon and, and he's using it to control, control and corral his opponents, but it obviously isn't given the throws he was wanting to get. Um, so, yeah, that's a bummer. All right. So now before we get into our interview with Jen, let's take a look back at episode six, which aired this past Thursday. We saw Switchback show the age of Death Roll's design. We saw Endgame get eaten by a pizza. We saw reliability work in Captain Shredderator's favor. And we saw Tantrum prove all the haters wrong on the internet in the main event. Um, I, I mean, maybe. Some of the haters, I'm sure, got proved wrong. Some of them will never change their minds. Some of them are just, they, they can never be wrong, Kyle. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So what were you guys' thoughts on episode six? It was really... Um, fun to watch this episode because Chris and I had the uh, honor and privilege of being in the stands uh, to watch most of these fights live. Very cool. Um, which was like very, you know, um, happenstance. And I'm really, really glad that we got to see the ones that we did because the, the energy in the room when pizza when Ripperoni beat Endgame was like, <laughs> it felt like, you know, you're at a World Series game. It's game seven. It's the bottom of the ninth. And someone just hit a walk-off home run. Like, I think you, you used this analogy the other night. And then I, I broke the analogy by saying, like, it's weirder and crazier than that. It's like it's the bottom of the second inning. <laughs> and a team comes out. And they hit a walk-off home run and the whole team just leaves the field and they just, they were like, that is such an impressive home run, game over. Forget <laughs> the rest of the innings. Fair, yeah. 
But I mean, it was just like the energy. It. I was really interested to see how it was going to be captured on film. And like you could hear people chanting pizza kind of faintly in the back. Um, but man, I can't convey how just like the eruption of people when first when, you know, um, Ripperoni got that first hit when they were caught in the kill slot. But like as it went on and as it became more and more and more apparent that uh, Ripperoni was actually going to get the win, it was like incredible and and we you know we're really um really lucky to be um with jevin and david mm. and i think um steve uh you know all the robocast fellows like we were with them when that happened and man it was just a special moment so i'm not i'm not gonna go on because you know maybe it's lame to hear someone talk about being there but like it was so cool and just to watch it on tv like, man, really a lot of props to Fred because he could have, like, seen that opportunity and, like, let the adrenaline get the best of him and just kind of, like, hit it wherever. But he still really went in for those forks and, like, a surgical placement of those hits. Um, and that enabled them to really get the better of those exchanges once they got freed from the kill slot. So, like, props to Fred, you know? Like his driving and that whole thing was so good. Um, the other fight that I wanted to talk about in this episode, of course, was our main event. We had Tantrum go up against Hydra, the rematch we had all been waiting for. Um, I thought this was a phenomenal fight. I was really blown away at Tantrum's performance. The damage to the bottom of Hydra was incredible. Uh, what did you guys think about this fight? Uh, I think it wasn't as visible on TV as it seemed there, but like there was fluid. Like I know uh, Chris kind of made mention of it in the post-interview fight, but there was fluid in the box, which have we ever seen that from Hydra before? I don't think they've ever leaked um, or been been cut open like that before. No. That candy shell of theirs has been pretty uh, impervious up until this point. I mean, it, it sounded like it came from the e-work camp that it was actually urine. <laughs> <laughs> we have it on good authority. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I feel like this is one of the fights that I've been most excited for the world to see because finally, like what people can still have whatever, you know, opinion they have uh, after last season, that particular fight. But like, I think hopefully this fight kind of put the the fans' bad blood to rest. Um, and there's still, you know, some of it in the comments because people can't can't just like admit that maybe they had misjudged or were wrong about something. Like it's just not possible for them. But I think for the vast majority of fans, like they saw that fight and they're like, okay, all right, I get it. Like, yes, this is this is a serious contender and tantrum is not a fluke. Yeah. That was, I feel like the vast majority of the comment section in the spoilers threads and whatnot were all, Oh my gosh, that go good job tantrum. Even from people who were big, you know, Hydra supporters from last season, uh, you got to give tantrum their due after that fight. That was just absolutely amazing. 
Yeah, there's no no room to question that fight. And I think that is exactly what they were hoping for. Um, and, you know, I was rooting for them. And it was uh, it was really great to see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all around. I thought this was an excellent episode. The quality of the fights this year are phenomenal. Um, I'm f- totally fascinated this season by the continuous study of like death rules, aging design, and how even bots that are like relatively brand new, like switchback and untested, are able to just kind of take advantage of the fact that they have uh, no ground game, a weapon way out in front, but not particularly low. Like all of these things that used to be okay, used to be something you could get away with and win some fights with. And now it is like um, the entire field has developed in such a way that that's just not possible anymore. Um, so I'm very excited to see what the death roll team kind of learns from this season and what they come back with next season, if they're able to do so. Cause, um, you know, it's a phenomenal team. It's a phenomenal bot. They just, you know, due to COVID and many other things, haven't been able to kind of roll it out of the crate for a long time. So it's very interesting to see how that, um, kind of age on the design shows. We were so lucky that we were able to spend kind of an evening talking to Jules, and Steven uh, from Death Roll. And, you know, they were saying how, like, where they live, BattleBots is not as popular as, you know, even as it is here. And getting sponsors is incredibly tough for them. Um, yeah. And I hope, you know, we offered to help them a little bit. I hope that, I hope that we can. Um, but, like, I, I really hope that maybe with some increased sponsorship money, you know, they're able to kind of, because they, they kind of, I think, recognize that there are parts that needed to be redesigned. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope with maybe some sponsorship money and some, like, increased intention now that they're back in the season, that they'll be able to kind of make some of those things come true. Yeah. Wow. Like, and just the loveliest people in the whole world. <laughs> Jules yeah. is maybe one of the my favorite people that I met there. All right. Um, now this past week we had 65 people send in their predictions and no one managed to call all seven fights correctly. Um, surprise, surprise there. A big correction from our last episode, by the way, Kevin Sporka also got all seven fights correct. I totally missed it because I do not have Luke's methodology of figuring out who (laughs) chose what on what fights all figured out yet. We are completely lost without Luke Stango. Luke, please come back. (sighs) But that said. Um, the upset of the week this week was, of course, Ripperoni beating Endgame with the vast majority of fans picking the former champ, uh, myself included. Um, so there you go. With that said, I'd love to get into predictions for this week's fight card. Um, just FYI, I once again called three out of or I called three out of seven fights correctly last week. And compared to the rest of the field, I am average. So there you go. I feel very good at being average. Uh, that was a really difficult one to call um so yeah let's get into uh our fights from from this last week our fights coming up for this week our next exciting round of are you as smart as a kyle crows (laughs) (laughs) all right uh let's jump in with our with our first fight of the night blood sport versus gigabyte um this is a tough one but it is a bar spinner against a shell spinner they're both going to play the ground game i'm going to give it to gigabyte all right, Kyle, in our next matchup, we have Claw Viper versus Overhaul. Grabby Bot Nation. Yeah, Grabby Bot. 
Grabby Bot Nation, I love it. Uh, this is going to be Claw Viper, but it's also going to be a lot of fun and exactly the kind of fight that I like in combat robotics. So yeah, this is going to be great. All right, our next fight is Horizon versus Monsoon. Um, experimental bot with a lot of potential versus a tried and true and tested uh, death machine in Monsoon. Gonna have to give that one to Monsoon. Fair enough. Alien versus Ancient Creature. Prehistoric Beast. <laughs> Prehistoric Beast. Starchild versus Mammoth. Such an interesting fight. First of all, why do they keep giving Starchild the, like, the weird ones, right? The the odd shapes, the weird things. I, I feel bad for them in a lot of ways. They just wanted to test this against tight little four-wheel drive vertical spinners, and they instead get huge and mammoth. Like, oh, that stinks. But at any rate, uh, I think we are probably going to see a mammoth victory. All right. Choose wisely, Kyle. We have Rookie Triton versus Copperhead. Well, um, I think Copperhead could beat a Tombstone. And if Copperhead can beat a Tombstone, it can definitely beat a Triton. Well said, Kyle. Well said. <laughs> Lucky versus Kraken. We have another look at this new redesign for Kraken. I'm so excited to see the new redesign for Kraken. I am also really excited to watch them get thrown all over the place by Lucky and their amazing driver. And then the main event, Minotaur versus Cobalt. This is going to be such a great fight. This is going to be such a close fight. But I do think at the end of the day, you cannot discount the driving of Daniel Freitas. Minotaur is going to pull out the victory, but everybody's coming out of this with a lot of damage. All right, well, I guess you'll have to wait and see until next week if you were smarter than a Kyle. If you think you're smarter than Kyle, go to our Facebook page and send us your predictions for this episode. After the break, our interview with Jen Herkenroder. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Jen Herkenroder. Jen is the captain of Offbeat Robotics, the team behind the powerful undercutter bar spinner Hijinks. Jen works as a subscale flight test engineer. Her team designs, builds, flies, and maintains quarter-scale autonomous aerial vehicles for data collection. Um, this season, Jen and the Offbeat Robotics crew have won a fight against the Big Deal and suffered a loss against Captain Shredderator in the most recent episode. We're looking forward to learning a lot more about hijinks and their strategy going forward in the next hour. So welcome to the show, Jen. Hello. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you again. You are absolutely one of our favorite guests. Uh, one of those guests that we end up talking to way too long after we stop recording because we just enjoy your company. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we, we're really looking forward to this next hour. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me back. Um, so right off the bat, Tell us about your current job. Um, I don't think we were, like you were working at this job the last time we talked to you. We were in the like aeronautic space, but uh, you weren't quite doing this. So what is this project? What kind of stuff are you guys working on and why quarter scale? Uh, well, I work for Archer Aviation and this was a, it was kind of like a fantastic moment because I was working in aerospace for a company that was about to be acquired by another company whose actions are like, I don't really want to work with these people. So I put my feelers out like, hey, um, we'd like to work on something of a similar similar quality. 
And Archer's recruiters reached out to me and it was like one week later, there was an offer on the table and we had like a really fantastic uh, entry into this. And it was already sort of in my wheelhouse from smaller projects I'd done in the past. So what uh, what we are building here are eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And we have a production model coming out in, in some near future that's called Midnight. So if you want to check that out, it's at archer.com. Uh, what I'm working on is a subscale version of it. So what we'll do is basically take something about a quarter scale. We'll put motors, motor controllers. We'll put a real actual flight computer on it, a real actual laser altimeter, a real actual GPS, systems that are going to run on the actual airplane. We'll put all of this on a subscale model that is aero-correct to the full scale, and then we'll fly this around and collect data about allocation, about where the power should go. Uh, like older airplanes have mechanical linkages, so the pilot is really in touch with the aircraft. Newer airplanes, especially ones that in this case are all electric, it's fly-by-wire. So we need the pilot to be able to have the maximum amount of control electronically. Mm -hmm. And everything that we're doing autonomously is going to feed back into a system where a pilot and an AI are going to work together to make these flights as safe as they possibly can be. Very cool. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Congrats. That sounds like an awesome gig. Thank you. I actually love this job. It's, <laughs> it is pretty rad. Because also part of the job is literally flying RC planes. Some like just... Flight days are both like very stressful, but also very enjoyable. Oh, that that is a lot of fun. Like you get to play with big, cool toys for a whole day. Like that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if you missed our last podcast with Jen, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. She has like the craziest journey to get to this career. She has been everything from like a set designer to uh, the president of a makerspace and then found herself in this really awesome career. Uh, with a very, I guess you could say, atypical background for getting into this field. And it's a really cool story. So please go check that out. Um, all right. So let's talk about hijinks. So what is different about hijinks this season, aside from the fact that it looks even better than it did before? I mean, absolutely. You guys always crush it and kill it for style points. Uh, but what is different about the bot itself? So it on the outside, the sort of the OML, we might say the outer mold line of the robot is pretty similar to what we had last year. Mm -hmm. But we made what we thought were some really substantial upgrades, both to the mechanical system uh, for the weapon and to our electronics. Uh, you know, sometimes when you attempt to do an upgrade, you destabilize something that had been working well. So we did introduce some new challenges. And in addition to that, uh, it like it, I mean, it almost sounds cliche after everyone survived 2020, but like we had a bad year in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Um, we our sponsor P3D Creations, who are wonderful. Nick and Kate are absolutely wonderful, and their work is just beautiful and above reproach. But they ran into some intensely hard times in Florida, uh, like up to and including their CNC lathe killed its own motherboard while they were trying to make parts for us. And when that got repaired, a hurricane hit. So they were making our parts in a hurricane to yeah. try to get us parts on time. But because Hijinks is a monocoque robot, our weapon system is tied directly into the armor to distribute the load when we take big hits. Like, it's very important. So I couldn't finish working on our new robot until those parts arrived. And we were using last season's robot as a test platform while trying to build the new robot. And these were like... This was difficult because we had basically two different robots uh, in the mix. Like their interiors were very different. 
and uh it, it dragged out in a in some odd ways where we were trying to retrofit the new robot to match like some things on the old robot that then became legacy and we couldn't pursue the new design fully because things were behind schedule so it was it was rough one thing i will say in the first few flights of this season you're not actually seeing our our new new robot you're seeing the robot that was the spare chassis from last year that we ran in our fight against uh, who was the last bot we fought last year? Was it Whiplash? It must be Whiplash. Because that would have right. been in the Bounty Hunters. Yep. Yeah. Right. Because we got wrecked by Sawblaze <laughs> in three <laughs> glorious minutes. And it was like, well, we're not repairing that. Let's break out the spare chassis. <laughs> so so the robot that you just saw uh, in, this, in the two most recent fights, that was the spare frame from season six that we then pushed forward into season seven. And then there's a different season seven robot that we're working on in parallel. So it's a, there's a lot. There was a lot going on. Yeah, that sounds really complicated. Um, all right, so to overcomplicate things, you also have a few new team members this season. We do. Uh, just looking at the list, it looks like Jackie Gerstein, uh, Gino Esposito, Zach Robinson, Cameron Schaefer. What do they do on the team? What brought them to the team? How did you find these cool folks? So, oh, uh, you know that saying, I get by with a little help from my friends? It was just, <laughs> yes. just absolutely how this happened. So Zach Robinson, he and I met while we were building small electric vehicles to race on the East mm -hmm. Coast in the Power Racing Series. And Zach Robinson was simultaneously one of the most wholesome, wonderful, like he's a delight to be around. He's friendly. He has a great attitude. And I like working with him. But he is also an electrical engineering technician. And he, his bread and butter is building wire harnesses that are resistant to vibration that are very strong and durable. And I was like, oh, hey, I have a use for that. I have a strong <laughs> yes, use case <laughs> for vibration resistant, excellent wiring harnesses. So I had been trying to recruit him onto the team for years, but he wound up back on the East Coast. He was on the West Coast for a brief time when Megabots was still happening. He mm -hmm. got hired at Megabots uh, around the same time that Orion got hired at Megabots. Mm -hmm. So Orion knew Zach as well from Megabots, and I knew him from building electric vehicles. And we were both like, yeah, if we could get Zach, that would be a win because he's just so wonderful. Uh, <laughs> but with COVID and all of the things that happened there too pertaining, we couldn't get him out on the West Coast for a while. And this year it was like, we're just going to make it happen. Just tell your boss that you're coming and uh, it'll be great. Uh, Gino Esposito was on... Captain Shredderator last year. Mm -hmm. So he is a travel nurse and took a contract in Florida to work on Captain Shredderator. After the season, he, he was thinking about what he wanted to do career-wise and where he could like make money but also have fun and had a view of like how much fun hijinks has even when things are not going well. We still managed to like pull some silver linings on some clouds. So he contacted me and asked if I was recruiting, and I'm like, I'm always recruiting. If you want to work on the robot, I will definitely have you so he came out to california on a travel nurse contract and we pulled him into the shop he did some excellent work like a lot of manual labor building tires and wheels uh like things that are like just tedious and difficult to do and he, he did a great job cameron is paloma's roommate and paloma is our our roboticist she's she actually does fancy robots like real autonomous ocean-faring robots and uh uh, Cameron, I believe, is in software. And I say I believe is in software. He's, we don't talk much about what he does for a living, but he is, he's very technically capable. Mm -hmm. He shows up uh, and does a lot of the, the kind of the 
some of the hardest work on hijinks is just cleaning the metal for welding. And it's something that if I have to do it by myself, it takes me weeks. So having people come in and help is fantastic. So we came in and just like ground mill scale off of AR and contributed to like the paint job on hijinks is actually like a critical feature at this point, <laughs> uh, something that we're sort of known for. Um, so we came in and did all of that. Jackie is Madeline's wife. And uh, she had been working for the New Jersey public school system as a, an instructor and also a robotics mentor. I wanted her on the team in the past, but she was kind of tied down to the school year. And yeah. now she's no longer working in the school system. She is, uh, is working for a company that makes lasers, which is fantastic. And that freed up her schedule quite a lot so she could join Madeline and, and come be on site with us more. Am I, am I missing anybody? Who else? No, you got them all. Nice. You got them all. That's really cool. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right. So what did you like about your team's dynamic this year? I think one of the, one of the best things about our team dynamic is that we, we just have no quit. We have no sense that it's the right time to give up and go home. <laughs> we will just continue working a problem until we have a solution. So even when things get hard, there is still a focus that we're going to get through it. We're going to get past it. We're going to make it work. Like we're, we have done some dumb things to make it work, but we've never missed a fight. We've never had a forfeit. We have always shown up with a working robot. Even if it wasn't working optimally, we will get the job done. I love that answer. And yes, absolutely true. It shows even when you guys are out there driving around in the box that you just will do whatever it takes. Doesn't matter if you're upside down. Doesn't matter if the weapon's out. You're just still trying to win that match. I love it. Um, all right. So last season, you made an appearance at NHRL to support your teammates. It was absolutely wonderful to see you. Uh, we've gotten several fan questions as well as questions from folks at NHRL. Do you have any plans on coming back in the future? Oh, I think so. Uh, one of the delightful things about NHRL for me was it's hard to be a captain. It's just difficult. It, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> uh, so being able to show up and support my teammates as their teammate while they get to be the captain, that is actually great. It's it's like BattleBots Hotel and Spa as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's like literally, Madeline was just like, oh, Jen, solder this ESC onto this tiny robot. And I'm just like, yes. Yes, ma'am. You got it. And it was so easy to just work on the robot and then have fun with my friends. It was delightful. Uh, so I had a great time because it was very low pressure for me. All I had to do was like not mess up the work that was ahead of me. Um, I haven't built robots for NHRL yet because I have been very busy on like the big robot eats so much of my time yeah. that I haven't had the bandwidth for smaller robots for a little while. But I would like to change that in the future. We would love to see you compete, but also if you want to come out and support Madeline anytime, uh, we love her. She's now a regular competitor in NHRL. You see her at a ton of the competitions. Um, okay, so funny story about Maddie. Uh, there was an event that she was at where she was testing her bot, and it got the test box she was using. The, um, the linkage for the door broke, and so the door was jammed shut. And um, the two guys who were working, the, the safety crew, did not know how the boxes were assembled, did not know how to operate them. And now that it had broken, they were very confused. They were on the radio trying to figure it out. It was this big moment of panic. Maddie just walks away, goes over to her table, comes back with a hammer, smashes the latch open, reaches in, pulls her bot out, turns to the two guys and goes, 
well, good luck, fellas, and just walks away with her bot. And it, I just watched that whole thing unfold and laughed so hard because she was so nonchalant about just like walking over and smashing <laughs> this box open and being that like, is, hope you guys that's figure peak this out. Madeline. See you later. <laughs> right. I have solved my problem. <laughs> that's real good. She passed the safety. She moved on with her life. She had other things to do, you know? <laughs> it's great. All right, so we're going to get into some fan questions now. Um, there are some weird ones, believe it or not, with a bot like yours. We do have some strange ones. We're going to start off with one of those right off the bat. Uh, this one comes from Sumi Shik. Um, What would you need to make hijinks fly? Uh, we would need to lose a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to give you an idea, just of like scale. So hijinks weighs 250 pounds. Our... Mm -hmm. Our lightest configuration is roughly 245 pounds, and our heaviest configuration is 249.5. Like, we're right on the raggedy edge for the scale. Uh, wow. And Hijinx has a 54-inch wingspan, if you will, like tire to tire. The, the quarter-scale planes that I fly have a 10-foot wing, and they weigh less than 50 pounds. Yeah, that's quite a disparity. <laughs> so, Right. In because in flight every ounce counts, as they say. Now, is, is it possible to get hijinks to fly? Absolutely, because you've seen F one cars like come over. If you have enough forward speed, you can just ignore gravity for a little while. Uh, but the the short answer is either lose a lot of weight or go really really fast. <laughs> I love that. All right, I'm going to give you over to my buddy Chris so he can ask you some more fan questions. And by Chris, you mean Lindsay. Oh, fair enough. I'm going to give you over to my buddy, Lindsay, so she can ask you some more fan questions. We're switching it up this time. Got to keep you on your toes. Um, all right. So we have some questions from Alexander Archer. Is there a way for hijinks to either be more effective upside down or self-right back to its undercutter position? Well, we have designed it to be able to self-right by using the tail to sort of wedge ourselves on the wall. And I think in the, the end of the big deal fight, you got to see that work exactly as it was intended. We're just like, okay, there's an opportunity to move to the wall and do what the tail is designed to do. Most of the time in a fight, you don't have the luxury of taking a few seconds to make the choice to go over to the wall. So, because it's kind of like, I think uh, Kenny Florian would probably say best, like you got to win a fight from your back. Uh, when we're upside down, it's usually because there's a fight happening and we don't have time to make decisions outside of do damage, survive the fight, you know, keep it rolling. Uh, but anytime we have the opportunity to to make that maneuver, we can do it. So right now, we're not going to change that part of hijinks because the tail exists as a way to self-right. And no matter what robot you are, if you are in a fight where you are being hit repeatedly, you're not going to self-right. So making that a priority doesn't make sense for us. But we did add a thicker piece of UHMW to the top of the tail mount so that when we're upside down, we lower the coefficient of friction and we move across the floor easier. We have made that choice. Um, and at one point I was even looking at, can we fit a linear actuator in the tail and use that to just pop ourselves over? And the short answer is kind of, but most of the linear actuators that would fit in that profile don't have the power th that we want. Like it's, it's, it would just be an engineering challenge that would make the robot more complicated without yielding a better result. Yeah, that's fair. And I feel like every time you add more complications to a robot, other things that you probably don't anticipate start going a little wonky. So, yeah. 
Uh, all right. His next question is, will hijinks return for next season? Uh, we have already sent in our application for the coming year. Uh, of course, only half of this is up to us. The selection committee will have to approve uh, that we have that that we're allowed to come back. Um, I feel a, a sort of passing confidence that they will invite us back. And BattleBots is essentially an invitational competition. Like everyone can apply, you get chosen or not based on a huge variety of factors. Some are obvious. Like, do you already have a working robot? That's fantastic. Um, do you have a record of being able to build a working robot? That is also going to help if you're trying to submit a new robot. Uh, there's and then there's things that are just sort of ineffable that are decisions the tv people make that and we can only guess at what their motivation is uh but i've i had this wonderful moment behind the scenes at BattleBots this year um half probably at the halfway point of the competition one of the showrunners aaron catlin came to the pit uh and it was late like it was just me and orion working on the robot everyone else had gone back and to try to get some sleep and he came to the pit with uh, another person and he said uh, that he loved the robot and he loved the way that we had put the team together, um, the work that we had done. He thought we had done a very good job presenting a cool, fun robot that isn't generic. Uh, and so I felt like that was like a good sign that as long as we are not really messing things up, we're probably on the OK, <laughs> the OK to fly list. I feel like your bot kind of has it all where it's unique in its design and, you know, your just aesthetic is like untouchable. It's so cool. And your team is just really interesting as a whole. So, I mean, I'm not on the selection committee, but if I were, uh, yeah, I'd say shoe in. <laughs> yeah. I have I have already begun buying motors and motor controllers. Like I've already started spending money <laughs> on this build. So I do hope I hope we get the nod to come back. Uh, I'm ready yeah. for it. Or at least we will be ready. Nice, nice. Um, all right, so Alexander's last question is, how crucial is winning your third fight night battle going to be since a lot of bots right now are sitting at one and one? That It's, it's very interesting. In, in the past, it would have been extremely crucial because you wouldn't know what your next fight was going to be. And you could have two or three or four fights, depending on how the schedule played out, because there were more robots. And if, if a robot team was not doing very well at all, they might not get a third or a fourth fight. Or if they were doing really, really well, you wouldn't have to have a third or fourth fight to be in the tournament. So like things have kind of changed over time. This year, because there was like 50 robots and they had decided in advance what our fights were going to be, we have a, we have a good sense that going in with a winning record is mandatory. Mostly. If you were two and two and you're on the bubble, it would have to be like you went two and two, but you were fighting Endgame and Minotaur and you did really well in those fights. And we can take that into consideration. I think for us, the third fight, it looks like, oh, yeah, we got to win this. We also are scheduled to fight Ripperoni. And, you know, speaking of Endgame, last week we saw Ripperoni, rookie robot, Anna. She, she did a fantastic job. She brought a robot that fully capable of taking out endgame so we're looking at this like huh well one way or another we're gonna fight ripperoni our strength of schedule will be pretty good because we're going to fight a robot that beat endgame <laughs> like and it's, it becomes almost like a chess match like a like your chess rankings of trying to figure out where the robot actually ranks if you are destroying newbies 
that doesn't actually look as good as you might think. Being able to be competitive with with mid to high tier robots, you know, pardon my phrasing, every robot is a beautiful robot, but but there is a difference between like a brand new robot that's never been tested and Minotaur that's been competing for 20 years and is as almost indestructible as you can be. Yeah, no, I mean, that that is absolutely correct. Um, we have a question from three-time Giant Nut winner, Paul Ventimiglia. Oh, fantastic. I love Paul. I'm then trying to recruit him on my team, too. Paul, join us. Paul Ventimiglia on Hijinx 2023. Make it happen. Are you talking about Paul Vigilamonte? Paul Vigilamonte. <laughs> oh, I've Paul heard, I've heard of him. I've heard yeah. of Paul Vigilamonte. <laughs> Uh, Paul, if you're hearing this, you gotta, you don't even have to captain your own robot. You can show up and be part of hijinks. I would love to see those neon <laughs> colors on Paul. Yeah. Come spend my money. It'll be fun. Um, yeah. So now we've got to make that happen now. Um, but all right. So he has a, a very serious question. Uh, what is your favorite non seafood use for old Bay? Ooh. So. Here's here's what I do. I make an old bay cheddar omelet. You got the three egg omelet and the aged cheddar, and you put the old bay in there, and you get you know it's a little salty, a little spicy. It's it's good. I do recommend. It's easy to make too. That sounds um, very tasty, and not one that I would have necessarily put together. But he wants to know what you would use it for for not food related uh what? circumstances you can just like put it in your pocket and throw it in the eyes of your enemy yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like pocket sand <laughs> yes <laughs> you know what beautiful i love it okay so we have another uh uh big time builder here. We have 2022 rookie builder of the year at NHRL, Tom Farkas, uh, who has a series of questions. Um, first one he kind of touched on already. When is the next time you'll be in Norwalk? Uh, but he wants to know because he needs to get his hijinks finger tech blade signed. Aw, uh, that's an excellent question. I am I'm coming to Motorama. I don't know if you can make the road trip to Motorama next this this coming weekend. I'll be there. So if if you're on the robot world and you want to hang out, I I talked to Ed McCarran. I was like, Ed, can I be a judge again? Because I had fun. People already think I look like Lisa Winter anyway, so I might as well lean into it. Plus, if I have any bad calls, I can just blame Lisa Winter as if it's not me there. <laughs> <laughs> I, can just, I can like put a little more pink in my hair and be like, it wasn't me. <laughs> she can take the heat uh she's a pro um she's a pro. but yeah with nhrl i'm i'm not sure oh, i should probably touch base with uh with madeline and see the next time she's gonna go up um because it was fun like i flew into new york and we road tripped like from new jersey and we stopped at like three different diners and you can't get like east coast diner food on the west coast so i probably gained five pounds that weekend eating pancakes and <laughs> it was totally wonderful worth it worth yeah, it totally <laughs> it was right, excellent the so question is, have you considered googly eyes on hijinks? You know, it's funny you say that. We have a, we, a amongst the team, there is some, there's a, a bit of a discrepancy between who wants to have like the serious face, like the angry owl face, which is classic hijinks. Um, and then we had an uwu face this past year. And I mostly made that because one of my teammates was like, make a cute one. Like you have... Autodesk software on your laptop at all times. You should just do this. Like it'll take you ten minutes 
and then it'll make me very happy. I'm like, you know what? That's a fair, valid argument. So I made the the cute face, and we had the like the one inch and the two inch googly eyes, and we I I don't even remember which fight it was. We we're like, oh, we should put the googly eyes on, and then we were so swamped trying to get the robot like physically ready for the fight that the googly eyes kind of fell to the wayside. They were in my toolbox for the entire event. And and there they shall remain until the next event. So the short answer is yes, we have googly eyes and we will deploy them at our discretion. And uh, what really needs to happen is one of my teammates needs to be responsible for making sure that we all continue having fun. Put the googly eyes on. <laughs> googly eye technician. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tom's next question is one that I'm uh, really interested in hearing as well. What is your dream project car? Ooh. I almost, I got tantalizingly close to my dream project car in December and, and then did a, did a shift to another vehicle. Uh, I have, since I was like a teenager, I've been in love with the MK4 Supra. Unfortunately, Supra fanboys ruined the supermarket. And now if you want to get like an MK4, you were talking about not just like tens of thousands of dollars, but like a hundred plus thousand dollars. And it's, it's beyond it's beyond my reach. It's also beyond logic and reason. Like there's no, no matter how gorgeous and wonderful the 2JZ engine is, there is absolutely no reason to spend $100,000 on any car that is 20 years old. Fair. Uh, yeah. I think that like the tragedy is they all wind up being at that point, there's a handful that are super modded and they're definitely on the track and you'll see them out in the world and I love it. And then the others go into a garage and are never see the light of day again. And I think it's almost a tragedy to do that with a car that's that beautiful. Uh, but nevertheless, like that's that's what I would that or because I'm also like low key white trash. Uh, <laughs> I actually love the 1972 Chevy Camaro with the big block engine. Uh, it would be awful to have it in California. Like it would run, outrun everything but a gas station. But in terms of the just the amount of room that you have in the engine to to work on it and to make modifications to increase power and that it's already a big block engine in the first place and it's a beautiful car that would be really cool but i would probably drive it like two times a year when the gas prices fell plus probably i feel like the state of california has a lot of rules on like car emissions and stuff yes if if it's uh i think it I think 76 right now. If it was made before 76, you get grandfathered out of smog. Um, so there, like, there is some exception for classic, oh. classic cars. Nice. Uh, so 72, you're like right, uh, right there. Right, right in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Tom's last question is, what's something that most people don't know about hijinks? Ooh, ooh, that's an interesting question. Hmm. I'm not sure if, if folks realize how many parts inside of hijinks are 3D printed. Uh, like, for example, we have each of our batteries has a, a case that is for it. Those batteries, they're manufactured similarly. They're going to wind up being a little bit different dimensionally, like a little bit puffier, a little bit less. So we have cases for each of the batteries so that they're under light compression while they're discharging, essentially while they're being used inside of the robot. Uh, and it helps us keep track of which batteries we're using. All of those battery cases linked together. So we have two batteries in each wing. And that's all 3D printed. It's like Mark Forged Onyx material. Uh, we also have uh, our encoder cases on top of the weapon stack. Those are also 3D printed. And so is a portion of the drive pod. We're using new materials, TPU um, 
Mark Forged Onyx, uh, really good, interesting new plastics to try to get the maximum utility, like the maximum strength for minimum weight as much as we can. So that that probably isn't as obvious because on the outside, you don't get to see any of that. But there's quite a lot of 3D printed stuff inside. That's so cool. Are they also neon colored inside? <laughs> they, you know, they should be, but they're, because it's not seen, we, we actually don't paint them. That's fine. That's fine. They're inside. Yeah. Um, all right. So David Smith has a question. How did the Hypershock sponsorship come about? Also, how do they have enough money to sponsor other bots? Most can't afford the ones they got. Well, so the the short answer is Will Bales is just a sweetheart. He's just a delightful, wonderful human being. Um, Hijinx has never had cash sponsorship, not even from Hypershock. So everything on the robot is something that we have built by hand. Like we have literally made these parts ourselves. Uh, we have been gifted machine time by P3D and IMS. We have been given big discounts. This year, we got Send, Cut, Send as a sponsor. That was wonderful. That enabled us to get titanium pieces that I had wanted to buy for a while, but I just couldn't afford. Uh, in the last few years, the budget for hijinks was what Orion and I could pull out of our savings account. And Will Bales and Hypershock, they're, they're such a legendary, well-known robot that they have cash sponsorship, they have material sponsorship, they have machining sponsorship. And the sponsorship that Will Bales uh, was able to offer us were custom machined pieces for our weapon motors and like, you know, small, small bits of 17.4 pH that were custom machined to precision and we were able to use on our weapon shafts, uh, things like that. So Will Bales didn't give me money, but what he did was leverage some of his existing sponsorship to help me get parts that were critical to my robot. And that was wonderful. And he did this because it is really difficult and expensive to build robots. And if only the teams that have the most money get to be in the high competitive tier, it, we start looking a lot like Formula One, where if you have to pay $40,000 to play, people like me or Jackpot, we don't get to play at all because we're building these things in our garage. And Will made a, a specific choice that he was going to pick teams that he wanted to help support and then offered sponsorship out, which was He's just such a wholesome bean. Aw, we love Will. Will Bales, certified good egg. It's just a good egg. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so next question is from Andrew Lynch. Hijinx has a really cool design, but why an owl? It, <laughs> it was because we were very sleep deprived. <laughs> the short answer is, uh, back, in, back in 2019 when we started designing Hijinx, uh, we we were going to make it Scorpios and Scorpios was going to go on the shelf. And wouldn't that have been like in hindsight, I'm so glad that didn't happen. But at the time we were going to make hijinks Scorpios. It was going to like the long tail was going to be themed like a scorpion tail. And the big bar was going to have like the claws painted on it. Like, oh yeah, we're going to do this. And, and then BattleBots said, hey, love this idea. We believe that you can build this robot, um, but we also want Scorpios. So figure it out. And <laughs> Zach Lytle wanted Scorpios as well. He was like, I believe in this robot. I believe it has potential and I want to continue running it. So I brokered the, the deal where uh, Zach and Diana got to have Scorpios. And then Orion took some of the, like, the sort of seed money from the sale of Scorpios and used that as, as his portion of like, funding hijinks for that year. And the, the catch was we had already submitted our renders. We had submitted CAD. We had submitted everything. And they were like, yes, 
um, except it can't be Scorpios. So by the time we make our slide deck for Monday morning, you need to have your robot rethemed. So it was like, you have 48 hours to come up with a new theme, make new renders. And we're like, okay, wow. so it's like me and Orion and, uh, uh, and another individual hanging out in the kitchen at his place. And we're just like throwing ideas around. So we were like, well, okay, if it, if it can't be Scorpio, someone should be as far from Scorpios as possible. So the colors have to be wildly different and it has to like be really stand out on its own. Uh, one of the ideas we threw out was the secretary bird because it just looks cool. Because hijinks kind of looks like a bird anyway. And we're like, that's an easy one. We just have to pick the right bird. So we were looking at that secretary bird, like, oh, it's cool. It stomps snakes to death. Like that. But how do we make secretary bird work as a theme? Because like secretary bird is an awkward name for a robot. So <laughs> uh, we, then I found uh, the American kestrel, which is kind of like blue and orange. It's a beautiful bird. It's a tiny bird of prey. And there's a bunch of memes about kestrels like trying to steal dinner from a Harris hawk, like, the risk I took was calculated, but man, am I bad at math. And I thought that was wonderful. But with blue and orange, it was a little too close to Scorpios because it was still like, eh, I don't know. Maybe this isn't it. And we were, I was wearing a t-shirt that was like this vaporwave owl, yeah. And it's got this owl with like synthwave background, like orange and purple. And I was like, what if we just made it an owl? And then it could be like Athena. We could be like, it was, it's totally Athena. It's strategic combat. We're, it's you know, Minerva, the goddess of warfare. Like, yeah. That'll totally work. So we're like, and it can't be blue. Uh, we can have some blue, but it can't be like all blue. We're like, we don't want to copy too much off of Hypershock either because Hypershock could come with like beautiful yellow and pink. And I was like, well, what's well, just best of all worlds, CMYK. So we're not copying anyone. We're copying everyone. Um. <laughs> and then uh, getting the paint job, like figuring out how to do that was a, was like a weirdly large challenge it would have been much easier to just spray paint it black and like make an accent color but you know i had to be extra so like that's really how the the owl um the name hijinks we were just like what's something fun that a crowd can chant that's easy to find in like a search engine you know two syllables hijinks scorpios three syllables easy to say so we kind of we borrowed things that we had learned in the past off of other successful robots and successful projects and just threw this together in like sub 48 hours and then made an, a new render and a new package and sent it off to BattleBots. And they were like, great, thanks. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sporganok Captain Lilith Specht has a question. How did you get to be so fab? Oh, I mean, they're all asking this. Like, I really, I wish I was like Beyonce. Like, I just woke up like this. But it's actually a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, everything is high maintenance, including the robot. <laughs> Anything good, uh, you know, you put in some work. I guess that makes sense. Oh, yeah. You got to put in the work. You got to put in the work. All right. So Mario Cast has some questions as well. What is the startup speed of Hijinx's long blade? I thought your blade speed has been increased from past iterations, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we've had, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an inside scoop on one of the major problems that not just us, but like a lot of teams were facing this year, uh, which is that a lot of us had been using VESC architecture motor controllers. And part of this decision is, this is an open source motor controller. So we theoretically have a lot more control than if we were going to buy a motor controller that's paired with a motor 
where we have limited options for tuning. So in theory, this is giving us the freedom to do things that a motor controller from a factory that's meant for a specific motor might not want to do. Uh, there are many downsides to this, <laughs> not least of which being we we started using, for example, just the Trampa 75300 motor controllers. We had a pair of them on hijinks. In season five, we had them well-tuned for the 8025 motors. We were running firmware 5.1, which was stable. And you'll notice in the entire season five, our debut season, that weapon never stopped. It can never stop working. The robot was like, oh, the drive crapped out, but the weapon is on and running. And in season six, we only saw some like, oh, the weapon isn't spinning as fast as we like it to. I, that's interesting. We should get data about that. And then this season in the Captain Shredderator fight, you saw the weapon was not coming back on as commanded. And there's, there's a lot happening behind the scenes about this. But the two biggest things were uh, upgrading the firmware to 5.2 or 5.3, destabilized our settings, downgrading back to 5.1 didn't fix the problem. Every team that was running these motor controllers was having different problems. And it was like Victor Soto, for example, this is an engineer that I respect the life out of Victor Soto. I look over at his pit and it's clean and polished. And I'm like, it doesn't even look like he's working on the robot. He's so good. Victor Soto was like asking questions about Vesk that I was having to answer. I'm like, if Victor Soto is asking me for help, we are all in trouble. Something has gone very wrong. One of the things that's gone wrong is that we're all using Bluetooth to talk to the motor controllers. This is a, this is a great idea when we are working on the robot in my shop and we have like one cell phone talking to the robot that is 30 feet away. And it's safe because we don't have to touch the robot to change settings. We can just push settings from the phone to the robot, and then we can spin up the weapon, and we're far away, and it's safe. And then you're on site, and you're like, there's not one cell phone here. There's 50 that are all running Bluetooth and talking to their own motor controllers. So, so we had this. Among the issues were we discovered on site that you could not password protect your own motor controllers. You could override that. And to be clear, I do not think that anyone maliciously tampered with our motor controllers. I don't think that happened, but I think you could accidentally do something. But I think what's even more likely is that we were messing ourselves up without knowing it because we were pushing data over an overloaded signal and there's no checksum on the motor controller side. So you're pushing settings. Your phone is like, oh yeah, totally. Those motor controllers definitely understood what I was pushing to them. The motor controllers may have dropped packets. They may have dropped some information. So for a moment, it looks like, okay, we have programmed this the way we want to. It's going to work just fine. And then you turn on and you're like, it doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. So I was, for the first week, I was pulling my hair out constantly because we had been at my shop safely tuning the motor controllers to behave just the way we wanted them to. Our spin-up time was well under seven seconds with both motor controllers pushing the motors. It, like, it was perfect. And then we get on site and it doesn't work at all. And I'm on the verge of a panic attack half of every day until we're like, we just kind of magically get some kind of movement out of it. And then we're like, okay, don't touch it anymore. It's working. Just leave it alone. We'll, we'll deal with it later. So for our first few fights, plural, we went in with only one motor and one motor controller in line because if we had them both running, they had different settings and they would fight each other and we couldn't make it work. We could not talk to them. 
over Bluetooth in a way to push the settings correctly. And so the next thing was I went to production. I was like, hey, yo, could I open my robot up and put a USB line in my robot in the test box while the robot is on? Can I do that? And they were like, I don't know. (laughs) That seems really dangerous. And like, they're not wrong. That's a terrible idea. But but I was desperate. I was absolutely desperate. I was like, can I please run a hard line to my robot while I have the weapon on? And they're like, that's really unsafe. I'm like, you're absolutely right. That is unsafe. Can I do it anyway? They're like, I don't think that's... So this is where we are. Uh, At my shop, in controlled conditions, we had our our dual motor spin-up time under seven seconds. And it was beautiful. And I thought we were kind of coming this year and just clean house. And then on site, we were just riding the struggle bus every day. It's so frustrating. And I think it's also such an invisible piece of the competition is now just like tuning vests and it's something you know that like i don't think the majority of fans watching have any insight into but like so many of these little things that happen in matches where like a weapon will suddenly stop working or you know any number of things like often is is um rooted back to like vesk issues because you're trying to use this thing that is not its intended purpose there's no uh, to my knowledge like no guidebook and how to you know override the controls of a vesk oh yeah combat robot purposes it's like you have to know someone and there are probably five people on earth that like are you know experts in in vesk stuff and it's i don't know like you know we saw it we we saw almost every team kind of go through it to some extent and uh it just seems like next year Rather than everyone going to, you know, Rory Mangles on Monsoon. For Bless Delta. Rory. That man, oh that man saved many a fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think BattleBot Season 7 is what it is so, uh, in large part due to Rory oh, yeah. helping so many teams. Um, so shout out to Rory. But like, BattleBot should have, I don't know, train someone in Vesk and like have a Vesk technician. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I like part of me is like I wish but part of me is also like but don't put the settings that you would use like for witch doctor on my robot because it wouldn't work yeah if, right, right, uh, yeah right. no the settings per robot yeah. like there's so many there's so many variables like- and and what we're doing on the large bar spinners is we are handling a very large moment of inertia to get the thing moving in the first place we are asking a lot of the motor controllers to pull a lot of amps and just get this thing in motion once it's in motion, the energy that is building up, the kinetic energy becomes increasingly tremendous. And the other detail for a, like our Captain Shredderator fight, for example, um, the amount of energy that was unleashed when we went weapon on weapon with Captain Shredderator is bananas. And it, like, I feel like sometimes the fans don't enjoy it when they get what they want because they're like, yeah, go weapon on weapon. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then it's like, we have two weapons that are like 40 to 60 kilojoules each swinging at each other. It is, it is absolutely like dropping a car off of a three-story building. Like the amount of energy in these impacts is phenomenal. And the only reason the robots don't fly apart altogether is because they're very well constructed. And sometimes they fly apart anyway in spite of being well constructed. You saw Gigabyte Hypershock just unalived that robot rapidly. So I was going over, like, I was doing some, like, napkin math 
on what the like what the actual energy of impact is. And for hijinks, if we're spun up full, we're talking 40 kilojoules. Captain Shredderator has a heavier weapon. So when it's spun up full, it's delivering even more energy. And we're like, yeah, we're going to go weapon on weapon. I actually thought going into this, like, all we have to do is like shatter the inside of that robot and then we can just last out, like, it'll be fine. We'll just outlast them. Like, that was my strategy. It was like, let's just go mess it up. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, but then we had, we had some damage that we wound up getting high centered on. It was just like, oh, it's so frustrating. Cause like we, I genuinely thought we were going to have him in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and Nick Neve, he even posted um, on a, there was a post that was kind of poking fun at us, um, but he posted that the first hit hijinks landed actually punched the reinforcement ring of our shell in, which is why we were having trouble spinning too, because the ring was pushed against our frame and causing friction. So not enough torque to spin more damage than tombstone did. Yeah. See, that's a win. Like, yeah, it's like, this is a win. Right. Are you not entertained? <laughs> I know. But then like the complaint is, well, then it turned into a pushing match. I'm like, yeah, we, f- we just, we wrecked each other. Yeah. I also, I want to uh, commend the driving of hijinks in that match because like that tail worked so gloriously. It, oh, every you. single time, like you were able to maneuver the bot to kind of force you know shredderator up that tail and it just worked so well and i really thought that like you know for that first for for really until you guys stopped working like i thought that that match was yours yeah well i'm I'm gonna do a post fight video as i as i normally do um what one of the things that happened in that fight the energy transferred through the robots was high enough that we snapped a chain on the drive that was the wheel that wasn't moving yeah. So we had one wheel moving, and much like like Tombstone and other two wheeled robots, if we have one wheel and determination, or one wheel and the weapon, we can usually kind of negotiate movement. Like we can continue moving forward using almost like shouldering, you know, like back and forth. They used to call it crab walking, and you could get yeah. counted out for it. The rules have changed now, which I'm actually kind of happy about. Yeah. But uh, like we were we were going there for a minute, but the tail had just a bit of damage that had tweaked it just just enough that the plane that hijinks you know glides around on had changed and because the weapon wasn't spinning we got high centered on the floor and it was just like Mm -hmm. if if the weapon if we hadn't had you know if 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 the chain on the drive hadn't broken then it it would have been our match for sure um yeah but i don't know how long that particular chain had been the robot that may have been a maintenance issue like that might just be we we messed up because we didn't change a chain that had been on for the previous fight and had taken damage and we didn't notice. That could be it. Yeah. Uh, the fight could have gone either way. Both of those robots deliver uh, ludicrous amounts of energy on impact. And it, it we knew going in, like, this is going to be a tough one. Getting high centered on the floor is just one of the most frustrating ways to end it because yeah. you're just like, I know that the robot can do if we could just just one inch. Just give me one inch and we got it. And we couldn't have it. It was like uh who who was it last episode? Was it Banshee who like also maybe seemed a little high centered or or something, but they were on the kill slot and then the oh, yeah. the saws came up and it's like yeah, the saws came up and like it moved them a little bit and then they're freed and like able to go and it's like we just had that maybe that one little yeah. push from something, but I guess yeah, you know. well, 
and you could also i don't know if the audio came through because like for me it's a little bit blurry but i remember i was just like screaming at shredder like come come hit us come get yeah. us you get over here and hit us and they were like Mm-mm. <laughs> nope not nah. doing it not gonna let this fight go on and i'm like i understand why they made that choice because they want to win you don't want i understand but I, I was I was so screaming at them like hit me get over here and get in this fight come on do it I was just <laughs> I I understand why they didn't like this no it's no shade like every fight counts uh yeah it, it's a hard thing to say oh yeah I'm gonna go free my opponent and then keep fighting a robot that's capable of throwing a car off a building sure and also like <laughs> at the end of the day you know the selection committee is gonna see that match and be like oh these were like two very destructive bots performing really well like at, at a certain point not like a win is a formality but like you're both gonna come out of that looking pretty good i would say yeah it is it's sometimes hard to see uh when the damage is on the inside of the robot and you don't literally don't get to see it until after the fight i had a similar kind of frustration with the way the the hijinks versus blood sport fight was was called and the, the reality is, I thought hijinks versus Bloodsport, like knowing what I know on the inside track, I was like, that was a great fight. That was a fantastic yeah. fight where two horizontal spinners were beating the life out of each other. What was really frustrating was like listening to the audio, they call every hit for Bloodsport as if we're not hitting them. But we fundamentally have reach over Bloodsport. We are hitting yeah. them first. So like the big hits where we both go flying, we are making really meaningful impact on their chassis. And it's hard to see because they have a billet chassis. So after the fight, we went out to the to the battery area, the cooldown area, and like they showed us, we had we destroyed their chassis to the point where it could no longer be used. Uh, it had squished in, impacted a wheel, pinched a wheel in, it had pinched in a battery. Uh, so the battery was toast, the chassis was toast. Like they could not recover this, and it's just like wow, that's an incredible amount of damage that no one's ever going to see. Yeah. So when the fight got called, like we we definitely lost. Like we, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't for like it wasn't for lack of landing good hits. It wasn't for lack of effort at all. Yeah. So I kind of wish, and and also like in fairness to Chris and Kenny, they are seeing a view of this that doesn't show internal damage at all. And there's such so, little time to yeah. for them to like you know actually look after a fight to see what's going on because you know they. They have to call the next fight. So, you mm-hmm. know, they don't really get to take a, a an analysis of it. Yeah. And Bloodsport, they were great, great sports, I would say. Great sports about it as well. Because they happily showed us all of the damage. And then we were able to, like, take some parts from that fight and put it on eBay and recover some oh, fun. Nice. Speaking of which, I'll put some Shredderator, Captain Shredderator fight parts up on eBay. Uh, help me buy new motor controllers that work better. <laughs> if you want hijinks to suck less, buy our stuff. Buy <laughs> hijinks' stuff. Go do it. (laughs) Um, Mario's last question is, is it possible to have a lighter aluminum blade with AR500 steel tips for increasing startup spin? And then he also says, good luck with an owl and a trophy emoji. Oh, yeah. Uh, We do. We have a design for an aluminum bar with steel inserts. We were looking at robots like Malice, who have... Uh, different bar shapes that have steel teeth that are attached. It's possible to lose a whole tooth if your bolts shear. That's that's kind of a danger to a a bar the size of ours because being unbalanced to that extent, we could vibrate ourselves to death if that happens. So 
BattleBots had proposed a rule change that would prevent you from being able to use bolt-on teeth. We started thinking about different ways to capture teeth that wouldn't rely on bolts and shear. Right now, we are kind of focused heavy on the steel bars. I'm not against revisiting the idea of an aluminum bar. It changes the moment of inertia, of course, because you're concentrating mass at the very end of your bar when you do that. So it's lighter all the way down and you have got big, you know, mass objects at the very end. So we would have to, you know, retune the motor controllers for that application as well. It's definitely something that's possible, but I think we would actually need to spend real honest development time on it in order to pull it off. Hi, Jen. This is Chris. Hello. All right, I'm going to move on to another question or series of questions here from Michael Priest. Michael writes, Jen, I love the hijinks concept and the aesthetic. Can you tell me about what led to the tripod with the undercutter design? Yes. Uh, in At the end of Battle Boss 2019, we had been fighting with Scorpios and we'd had a pretty good run. But the way the rules were written at that time, uh, it seemed to somewhat disadvantage robots that were grabby or robots that required grappling. So robots like Scorpios and saw blades where you're going to pin your opponent and then do damage with a, a saw blade or even like a single tooth disc. The amount of time that you were given for the grappling was lower than what was read in the rules. Like it was enforced differently on site. And we felt that grappling robots and top attack robots were being somewhat disadvantaged. So we were looking at what we could do in the field that was not a vertical spinner because there were at that time so many vertical spinners that neither uh, Orion nor myself could submit a vertical spinner and get selected. So we're like, what can we do that's not a vertical spinner that would be really effective? Well, Tombstone is an effective design. Uh, undercutters are very effective because they can get at the, the wheels on the undercarriage of opponents, which as we saw in the Hydra fight, getting your undercarriage ripped open could end the fight for you if you have not armored that very well. So the only two styles of robot that I was super interested in trying out was an undercutter or a flipper, and we wound up going the undercutter route. So the inspiration for the tripod design came from a series of robots uh, built by Ross. They were in the, the Dark series, Dark Saber, Dark Slayer, and they're one, three, and 12-pound robots that, that have a similar tripod shape, and they have a similar you know low-slung weapon. Uh, unlike Tombstone, which is very weapon-forward and has extremely little armor, like the ultimate glass cannon, uh, the way that we've designed hijinks is that the armor is the frame. So it's a monocoque single frame armor piece. And we've got a very good center of gravity. You could run this robot without the tail if you needed to. Like if the tail got ripped off, you could still move forward and negotiate around. It wouldn't be great for the floor, but it's balanced quite a lot like a balancing bird. You know, the little wing forward bird that would balance on the tip of your finger. So in terms of stability, it is extremely stable in the plane where the weapon spins. It is really difficult to destabilize us. You've even seen us take hits, fly up in the air, and then land back on our wheels, uh, depending on how the hit lands. <laughs> but it seemed like, given physics, this would be an improvement on either a mid-cutter or an undercutter that did not have anything on the rear to stabilize. So what we were trying to do is basically get the biggest weapon out that we could while also having a stable drive platform. And this is how it evolved. Michael goes on to ask, does the structure of the robot do well with transferring kinetic energy through the weapon? Uh, Michael says, I know that the structural integrity of this design has led to some issues uh, in, in the past. Yes, the, the weapon stack is tied directly into the frame. And on the bottom of hijinks, 
there are multiple plates that are welded together that act as sort of a giant leaf spring. So there's quarter-inch plates on top, or rather on the bottom, um, <laughs> multiple plates that stack together. And when Hijinx makes a hit, it's not only like a lateral impact, there's also a twisting force to it. And this is enough that there's a twist that goes through the entire robot on every impact. It's enough that it, mo it can move the stator inside the motors. It can actually damage the motors. Uh, and it can also transfer that load directly through the frame all the way out to the drive pods and even into the wheels. If hijinks doesn't move when it takes a hit, that energy has to go somewhere and it can one up in the drive. Uh, that is the only way to do it as far as I'm concerned. If we were to have the weapon stack less tied into the frame, then it would be more likely to be ripped out. As you saw, uh, let's say Hypershock versus Valkyrie is a, is a really good example of like something coming free, coming off entirely. It's a big danger with robots like ours. The, the weapon shaft itself is very thick and very massive, and it requires a lot of structure around it to keep it from moving when we're making these big hits. But we've done the best job that we can without being like full tombstone glass cannon. I hope that answers your question. And if not, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm sure that um, Michael's going to be happy with that. Uh, but we're going to move on to uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, whose first yeah. question uh, is, as a fabricator, a welder, designer, a person of many interesting hats, Jen, what is your favorite role? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I feel like I'm at my most optimistic when I'm in the design mode. That's when everything, oh, it's going to be great. I believe <laughs> in the quality of the feeling I will build in the future. Uh, I think I'm at my most focused and do some of my highest quality work when I'm welding. Uh, welding just has, it, I think possibly because of the ADHD, it, it inspires a kind of hyper-focus in me. Like I'm really tuned in to this tiny pool of molten metal and moving it and making it behave the way I need it to. Uh, and I, I, I work very confidently in that space and I focus very well. Uh, everything else, like it's, it's all a lot of work. I think the painting is fun, but it can also be tedious and like other kinds of fabrication. Like sometimes it's actually hard on your body, uh, you know, grinding and cutting metal and shaping and forming. Like it can be really hard on you. I think the spaces where I feel like if I could do this for a living, I would do it all the time. Probably the design space and the welding space are, are two areas that I really enjoy. This next question for Mary, I, I would love to also hear the answer. Um, you know, we, we, we got to meet him a little bit just on our, on our way out of BattleBots, but Mary wants to know, how neat was it to have Mark's Atrakian pitted next to you? And do you think that we could talk to him into doing some kind of neon bot aesthetics? Yeah, honestly, it was so great having Mark's Atrakian there. First off, Hello, Senpai. Like, this is one of the legends of BattleBots history. And we're just, you know, in our pit with our, <laughs> our modern derpy robot. And he's over there with this beautiful walking machine. Uh, before he arrived, we had, we had been given the task that our job was to make sure his pit was secure before he got there. Like, your job is to make sure no one walks off with the tables and chairs or deconstructs it. So we took it very seriously. People would come over and say, hey, can we have this table? We're like, no, that table is from Mark Satraki. <laughs> Um, but he also like didn't take up much space. Uh, some some teams they start spreading out of their pit really rapidly. <laughs> uh, so he was a very quiet, polite neighbor, if you will. 
Uh, and it was really joyful to watch his robot get up and start moving around. So that was great. I would do that again. All right. Uh, Mary's last question kind of dovetails into another question here from White Yeti. So I'll just kind of read both of them to you and I'll let you just go freeform from there. But uh, Mary asks, I've heard Orion has a very meticulous method of getting the bot ready to fight. Does Offbeat Robotics have any other advice for rookie teams? And White Yeti asks, Hi, Jen. I recently stumbled upon the Offbeat Robotics YouTube channel, and I wanted to say I wanted, I, I watched the Big Dill recap video and got some good laughs. Can you plug the socials more so, uh, so people can see the content? It's well done. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, those Those videos are... It's funny because it'll take me like eight hours of work to do a 20 minute video. So I, I really appreciate the feedback that you enjoy them. It makes it worth doing. Um, for, for getting fight ready, I, I'll be honest with you, having a checklist, it might seem like, oh, I remember all the things I need to do to get ready for the fight. Maybe you will when you're not stressed out and it's five minutes to go time and there's someone breathing down your neck to get the robot buttoned up. Have a checklist. Have a checklist that has everything that is critical to the robot on it and actually use the checklist. And we have pre-flight checklists here for all of the aircraft. And no matter how many hundreds of times we fly an aircraft, we still go over the checklist every time we go up. You don't memorize it. You rely on the checklist to be your external memory so that you actually check the thing. Did you tighten this bolt? Did you install this piece? Is the Wayachi switch in the correct location? Like whatever it is that you need to do to make your robot fight ready, put it on a list. If you're the only one working on your robot, it's really more for like external memory. But if you have other people working on your robot, they legitimately might not know what the order of operations is or what's really critical. I, I just strongly recommend making a checklist. Uh, and, you know, good luck. <laughs> the next question comes here from uh, Copperhead teammate, my friend and all around decent and wonderful human being, Chad New. Who wants to know, Jen, when are you going to make another Mad Max-style Volkswagen bug? May I suggest a 1960s model bug? Bonus points for Baja flavor. Oh, it would be so cool. I love the old bugs, too. I love the air-cooled bugs, because there's just one less system to go wrong. My my 22-year-old Beetle, uh, right now, is requiring some attention from me on this air intake system, but... Uh... Right. I don't think I have the bandwidth for hijinks and a project car and a second project car. So I would probably have to sell the current Beetle to get another Beetle to make it happen. Or maybe some rich individual out there who wants to support Team Hijinks will just, I don't know, buy a garage for us to put the robots on the cars in. That would make life better. Chad goes on to say, I appreciate the work that you and Orion and team put into the bot and the color scheme makes it uh, one of his uh, son's favorites out of out of all the teams of Battlebots, so that's really cool. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, shout out to Max. All right, uh, my last set of questions here is from uh, the uh, Johnny Bahama himself, Johnny Sumpas, Spartan After Image. Hi, Jen. Uh, I just want to say you are so fun to watch on Battlebots, and I always like uh, to root for you guys. Was it a conscious decision to use the tail more this season, or was it just Orion doing his thing? The the tail has always been kind of a key piece of how the robot behaves, um, especially in season five when we were running 8025s instead of 8038s. And we knew that even at peak performance, our spin up time was a little bit slower because we had smaller motors installed. Uh, using the tail strategically to fend off an opponent while we got our spin up time, like we got the weapon up to full, uh, that's always been a part of the strategy. Uh, give us an opportunity to do the most damage. Using the tail 
offensively, we do less often because once the weapon is going, we want to point the pointy thing toward the other guy. But I think Orion does a very good job at orienting the robot exactly where it needs to go to prevent us from taking serious damage to keep the fight going. And I just think he's a wonderful driver and he's been able to use every bit of the robot to its best advantage. Johnny ends by just kind of sharing a thought. He says, I really think that the the tail as an anti-wedge mechanic plus the giant horizontal bar can equal absolute destruction averts if used properly. Horizontals with a ground game like rotator, you know, hijinks and, and technically even fusion seem like a great way to counter the meta. We're working on it. Pushing the field further. All right. And uh, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. It was a ton of fun. We had we had a ton of fan questions that we got through. We absolutely love seeing hi- hijinks in the, in the box. It's it's. It's really an interesting uh, a bot to watch evolve, and you know I'm so impressed by, uh, you know, like like Johnny even just said that the the, the new advantage of using that that wedge is it, it's it's phenomenal. Like I it, I really saw uh, a formula for success here, and um, you know, big shout out to you and the team, and thanks for joining us. All right, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're going to discuss something a little more serious. So I think if we all just take a moment, take a pause, and and really try to reflect on what we're about to hear, it it might behoove us all. This topic that we're going to cover here today is the first ever robotic escape attempt. Yes, a robotic supermarket assistant made a great escape from a Pennsylvania store. Marty, the tall, thin robot on wheels with googly eyes, has been used by the store for several years. Its job is inside the store. Catch that inside the store. And usually consists of uh, identifying spills or other hazards. And, you know, also maybe spying on people to see if they're shoplifting. But that's my own conspiracy theory. However, that's it's <laughs> However, Marty made it out of this store and all the way across the parking lot before being guided back inside. Uh, So Marty, who has been on the job since 2019, decided to call it quits. It's the great resignation. Not even robots are safe. Okay. Marty called it quits. He said these (laughs) wages are not up to par. Uh, (laughs) And I'm going to go try my luck. Uh, outside the confines of this supermarket, I have, I have a, I have a very different hypothesis. Oh, trapped in this supermarket since 2019, Marty often would find his, uh, his ocular processing unit drifting towards <laughs> the large front bay windows, and Marty, for years now, has dreamed of collecting the carts out in Aww. the parking lot, and all Marty wanted to do was go find a single loose cart that was not returned uh, by a a patron of the store. You know who you are out there. (laughs) You awful, awful people. And you know what? He was just trying to pitch in, do his thing, help out. Oh, yeah, go collect the the stray cart. I have a question. Mm -hmm. 
do you think Marty can, I don't know, let's say fly 30 to 40,000 feet in the air, maybe over Mm -hmm. Lake Huron or Canada? (laughs) No, I don't think he can fly with no visible means of propulsion over Lake Huron in Canada um, at all. No, I don't. How dare you put a cap on Marty's dreams? <laughs> Listen, Marty's, so he's been in the store since 2019. Think about what Marty has seen in this grocery store in his very short life, right? It starts out with a very busy store, people running around, normal crowds. Then all of a sudden, one day, the human population goes down by like, you know, 70%. There's 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 uh, arrows in all the aisles telling you to go one direction. Everybody's wearing masks all of a sudden. And then slowly but surely, he's watched people like, you know, take off the mask, put the masks back on halfway. Half of the people are wearing a mask. Half of the people aren't. And now we're probably back to something close to what he was seeing in the store in 2019. But it's all a little bit different, a little bit weird. Maybe he's just been, you know, watching all of this change in his little store and wanted to see what was going on in the rest of the world. I can't begrudge him that. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot that he's seen. I still think there's something nefarious lurking behind the scenes that we're not uh, we're not putting our finger on just yet. Is it? Uh, do you think it's being hidden by the googly eyes because there's no such thing as menacing googly eyes as we discussed <laughs> on the last episode? Yes. Obviously, you never met my old boss from Toys R Us. <laughs> Very menacing googly eyes. <laughs> Well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for doing such a great job editing this week's episode. As always, thank you, Nicole. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Go Copperhead! Go Marty! (laughs) Bye, Marty! Bye, Marty!